Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Debate Night yet again. The name has stayed the same because this is the place to find the hottest debates anywhere in the world. And uh, you know what? Why change it? If it ain't bro- if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what they say. Um, but we're here off a pretty hot performance at D-Glow for you, Brody. Um, why don't you just walk us through that a little bit? Sure. That was, that was probably the most asked question I got was, you guys changing the name? Of really? That's funny. There was a lot of questions We got a lot of good suggestions, that. but none just felt right. Debate night just felt right. I think a lot of the suggestions we got to honestly sounded more like a, a, maybe a future podcast yeah. with like me, you and yeah, Trevor. That's fair. Is what it sounded. It didn't seem like, it didn't seem like a good transition of this podcast. It's, it's, it felt like we were going to completely do a completely new thing. So, um, but yeah, D it was obviously very nice to, to do well out there. I mean, that's Discraft's premier event. It's literally in their backyard and everyone, you know, Everyone in the area from, you know, workers to uh, just Discraft fans are basically coming, <laughs> are basically co- <laughs> someone, someone wants attention. Um, but yeah, no, basically it's just a big, huge Discraft event, uh, equivalent to some of the other ones with like Innova and, and I'm sure like USDGC kind of thing of where that's a big Innova event. Um so it felt good to obviously perform there. I haven't performed well in the past. I was looking this up because I've almost made more money in winnings this year than I did last year, which honestly is is pretty impressive when you look at my last year. I played like a lot of smaller like A tiers and stuff and like made a couple hundred dollars, yeah. yada yada. This year obviously really difficult to cash at these events. Um, if you don't play well, you're not going to cash, but my last couple performances at Deagle have been really, really bad. And, um, to the point of where, if I would have played like that this year, I mean, I might've gotten dead last (laughs) with how crazy good the fields are getting. So it's really fun getting to a course too, knowing that you can birdie every hole where I want to say last year. Like hole one and hole two, or hole one and hole eighteen, both of those. If you have a, a big forehand, those holes become a lot easier. Um, hole one, I parked twice, so I had tap in birdies twice. Um, sawed off one of them to where I kind of scrambled. It was probably the craziest scramble I've actually had uh, all year to save par. And then hole eighteen, I parked it twice, and then had like a. 25 footer maybe the third time so i went five under uh on those two holes in the tournament where last year i want to say like i was throwing forehand on 18 but could barely even get to the top of the hill and then hole one i think i was still trying to throw like touchy turnover backhands which is just a much harder shot so Playing the course like this year was so much more fun like hole five that really long tunnel shot wasn't scared of that hole last year was terrified every single time coming up to that t-pad so the mindset of going into these holes a lot different and the other cool thing for me is like i didn't play well like i didn't play out of my mind to get ninth place the first the first round i missed 
maybe four or five putts inside a circle. Um, the second round, I had many opportunities of, of capitalizing on some good shots and never did. And then the final round, I was in perfect position on hole 14 after the drive, perfect position hole 15 after the drive, did a terrible upshot on 16 to bogey that hole, perfect position on hole 17 after the drive. And so those four holes, I walk away, probably should have walked away at least two under. I walked away one over. So that's three shots right there that I kind of just gave up. So it was one of those where obviously very happy with where I finished, but still, you know, a part of the process, a part of the journey. I want to continue to try to put myself in position to win these things. And um, I knew going into the final round, I had to shoot, gosh, I don't know probably like something close to like 15 under, I think it would have been somewhere in there. Yeah. Cause what I finished, I finished at 18 or no, I finished at no, the winner was 25 and I think I finished at 18, seven, four, seven, four. Yeah. Seven, four, seven is what I shot. I think so 18 and the winner was 25. So I, yeah, I think I needed to shoot 15 under to, um, to get into a playoff, essentially. But also, Corey Ellis and Calvin Heimberg shredded. Yeah. So it was one of those where if I get into the clubhouse at 12 under or something like that to where I'm in the lead and they've got you know those four or five holes left to where they could still birdie and pass me, who knows? But um, it was nice to you know go, I think, six or seven under, eight under, whatever it was, through 10 um, to start the yeah, round. Yeah, you were seven through 10, um, and it, it was pretty – exciting because at that point i think it was around hole nine and ten you were in the lead obviously they were like five holes back from you but uh it was like you and the front nine were the scorable holes yeah yeah so you're kind of shredding shredding that side of the course but it seems like a consistent theme doing debate night and also looking at your stats is like your putting a lot of times is what is the like one stat that like this week you were top five in a lot of stats top 10 a lot of stats obviously you finished ninth so that's expected but then putting was still like the area that you struggled with somewhat if you want to call it struggling uh what are Mm -hmm. you focusing on to like continue changing that or is it just like something that you're working through yeah no i think i think it's just been a lack of of repetition and practice the last couple weeks Mm. um and a lot of time i i would spend more time uh, playing the course and, and trying to work on shots. Yeah. And then obviously with my back and some other kind of nagging injuries I've had, I haven't really been able to put in as much time that I usually do. And I've seen that the most on the putting green. Like that's where it's hurt me the most. But I will say like the back is starting to feel a little bit better. And so this was the first week that I really got time to put into putting to so where I would show up you know, I think one of my rounds, I showed up an hour before to putt an extra hour. After every round, I putted for an extra hour. And um, I think you could kind of see like between Friday, Saturday, Sunday, my circle one putting got much better. Yeah. And I started making some more circle two putts. So well, yeah, it's you started, starting to happen. You started Sunday 100% circle one and circle two for a big chunk of those first holes. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm throwing the disc really, really well. You know, I think I was putting myself inside a circle two more than I want to say almost anyone. Yeah. You're up there. Um, so, you know, I'm giving myself a lot of chances. I think also on a course like this where scrambling and being able to 
get up and down basically from all sorts of different crazy positions. Um, you know, I didn't have too many bogeys out there. I don't know if I even took a double. I don't think I did. I think I, I think I only had a couple bogeys and a lot of those, like one of them was me being aggressive on a circle two putt uphill through a bad scuba. It hit a tree, uh, like hit a limb kind of overhanging limb and then rolled down the hill and I took bogey there. So like a lot of the bogeys too, were just kind of on, um, in spots I probably shouldn't have taken it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy with my play overall. I'm happy with how, how I'm throwing the disc, how I'm scrambling. And after watching uh, coverage from Northwoods Blacks, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit of Ledgestone coming up. Uh, you're going to need to be able to scramble really well out there. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why I kind of stayed up close to the top was I was able to birdie a lot of the holes that you have to birdie out there. And then the holes that are, you know, very tough to birdie, but you should be getting pars. Um, when I did throw a bad shot or got off the fairway or whatever, I was still able to manage to, to save par. So uh, I think that's that definitely helped, obviously, at this tournament. But um, overall, performance-wise, you know, it's, it's good to get another top 10. But, you know, I'm still not where I want to be. Yeah. You know, there's still a lot for me to get better at to continue to kind of push to, to eventually take a, take one of these things down. I saw on, um, I saw on Twitter where you were talking, like you did that like quick pop-up Q and a thing before you got on a flight and someone mm-hmm. was asking you about your goals and you keep alluding to this like year end goal. Well, you have goals set and you're going to reveal them at the end of the year. Are they all like mm-hmm. year long goals or I'm not going to ask you to reveal any now, but is there any you've hit where you just like, yeah, three of the goals on the list I've hit already. Uh, how many have I done already? Yeah, no, there's definitely goals that you can already, I've already done one, two, three, four. Now, how long is the list? Uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight that are unaccomplished, okay. but also ones that like can't be accomplished until the so end you're of done the year, like season long goals of like stats. Or yeah. Whatever. So something yeah. Like, I'll give you one. Like, one of them is, like, I want less than 10% OB rate. Okay. Like, that's go. a goal. So, like, I, I, I can't hit that until so the season's over. over. But there are other ones that I can still hit before the season's over. I just haven't yet. Um, but, yeah, I think this, this is the first time I did that because the last two years have been almost more of, like, just getting through tournaments. Like, mm-hmm. just trying to stay positive and just finish a tournament and try to throw every shot. And, and a lot, I mean, year one was just like learning disc golf. Right. So like the, instead of like having all these other like performance goals, like there was one goal and that was like, learn how to play disc golf. And then year two, the same thing was kind of like, learn how, like what discs I need to throw and what shots I need to have. And then also like learn how to throw those under competitive conditions that was pretty much the goal in year two. And then year three, that's where I, I mean, I even think I said this all the way back to my first year was like year three is where I felt like I was going to put myself in uh, contention to win. And I've done that at a couple tournaments after round one. Now, obviously I've fallen off at some of those, like Ida wild, I was in contention to win after round one, but then round two was terrible. And so I'm pretty much out of it. Uh, but trying just to put myself in that position more and more and more yeah. to where it's, I'm comfortable with it. Like how I felt, because DDO, well, 
it's fair to say like that was kind of like an outlier tournament, if you will, because you weren't really necessarily playing disc golf. So the amount of pressure that you felt for putts and shots weren't really the same yeah. because of just how, how windy it was. Difficult, yeah, how difficult it was. Um, but with the European Open, now this tournament, I've had enough time playing like either on chase card, lead card, whatever, of where you get those nerves and you get those feelings of like, okay, I could win this thing. If I go out and I shoot a good round, I could win this thing. And, and having more of that is obviously going to bode well for me down in the future. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, back, I know you said one of your goals is like OB rate. This course on Grip Lock, we talk about it a little bit where it felt like a course that would kind of help you accomplish that goal, I guess is a good way to yeah. put it. Uh, do you I only think threw that this one shot could, OB all, all, all tournament. Yeah, so. I mean, do you think this course could use some more OB or is that something that it just didn't come through on camera? So this course probably from all the courses we've played, this course probably has like the most potential. I think this course, if, if it does want to hold a world championship or a major champions or cups coming there next year, right? I don't know. I, I'm, po I'm there almost was, positive champions cups. Gonna there be was there. also rumored where it's staying there. There's been talk there about staying at WR Jackson. Oh, that's fascinating. I don't know. Stuff is going back and forth. If you so search 2023 Champions Cup, it brings up soccer. I don't. I always think I have a disc golf browser. <laughs> I need a disc golf browser. That's what I need. Where you don't have to, have to type in disc golf. After yeah, where everything. I don't have to type disc golf after. 2023 Champions Cup. I found the criteria. Don't think they have the location. Yeah, maybe maybe someone listening has some information. All I know is I've I've heard it both ways. I've heard yeah. it's going to Deglow. And Deglow's not going to exist. And then I've also heard it's staying at WR Jackson. So I'm not entirely sure. I know probably Worlds will probably be eventually at the toboggan course at some point. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a hard time seeing that it wouldn't be. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those of where this is how I view it. I think certain holes need to stay the, the way that they are currently. And... Um, at OB, right? So like, we'll just throw one hole out there that's really obviously very easy to visualize. And I think everyone saw that hole 14, they moved the T back, which makes that hole way better. Um, but it now with no OB on that hole, I don't think there was actually OB on that hole last year, but with no OB on that hole, it allows people just to literally throw as far as they want and still basically have a shot at birdie yeah regardless of where they end up on the left side, or we saw even people going on 15's fairway, yeah, it's what, where uh, they're literally 200 feet right of where the fairway is. Yeah, someone commented on Griplock and said they were following, they, I think they were just like walking around, it might have been volunteer, but they saw David Wiggins come through on 14, and he wasn't having a good round, so he just ripped a 360 on hole 14, because it was like, why not? And they said he was like so far on 15's fairway, and everyone was like, oh, it's got to be OB, but then the spectators just watched him walk up and throw from there. And they're like, yeah. how? Like he just chucked it in any direction you want. Cause why not? There's no, OB. yeah, a lot of, a lot of these holes, especially some of these like uh, long par threes that they created. It was very much so like, just ch chuck it down there. And if you get close to make a putt, great. If not, you're going to have a par. Yeah. It's going to be way better than trying to throw like something safe. So I think it definitely needs to have OB, for it just I, I and again i think my hope at least is a lot of times 
they want to see how courses play and, and see what happens before they go like too extreme, too extreme which yeah. I completely understand. But I also want to make sure that like when course designers or TDs or whoever it is that's looking at it, like you got to still, even though, even though the field is getting deeper, you still need to look at how it played for like the top 50, top 60. You can't factor in these guys that are shooting 15, 20 over par and being like, well, this course, this hole actually played close to par. So it's like you got to, fa- and also like just looking at score average, I also don't think is a good way of d- deciding of whether or not a hole is good or not. You have to look, take into account too, like how many birdies there were, how many bogeys there were. If you are trying to make a hole that has score separation, because there were some holes out there that I'm guessing the amount of birdies was probably less than 15 and the amount of uh, bogeys was less than 15. And so like, yeah, it played close to par. And so you might say like, oh, this is a great hole. But the score separation actually of where someone can literally throw a shot 300 feet away from the basket and make par. And someone can throw a shot 50 feet away from the basket and make par. Or at least like that's what's happening the majority of time. That might tell you something. So I definitely think they need to add OB. And my thought was if a major does come there, like Champions Cup or Worlds or whatever, all you have to do is – because they can they can control the grass length, right? Because they, they cut the grass out there. What you can then do is like, all right, you know what? Hole 14, we have OB on both sides for D-Glow, but now Worlds is coming here. We're going to shrink that fairway down 20 feet. Mm. And so we're going to let the grass grow in 10 feet here and 10 feet on this side. And now that fairway's tighter. And now all of a sudden you can have a world championship where the winning score is a ridiculous like seven under par. And you could have something where there's bogeys, there's bogeys galore and like people are stressed out. Because like the whole the only hole you really saw players stressed about were hole three tee shot, the one that's super high. And if you go right, you're in that crap and good luck. And if you go left, you're OB and hole seventeen where people would throw hyzers over the road and hopefully it comes back. And if it doesn't, you're going OB uh, up by the road. Or if you throw too much hyzer, you're going OB left. Yeah. Like those were like the two stressful tee shots. And my thought is like, what happens if we play a course where every shot's stressful? Yeah. Right? Like then all of a sudden was, you're going to be... I was surprised play- how many yeah. people are messing up hole 17. Like, it's a hard shot, hole if you can't throw harder? far. It's well, a even hard people throw. that were throwing far, they just were hyzering out earlier than expected. Was it like they were trying to get too it, aggressive, or like it's a hard hole, like it's a hard shot, like it's the, a hard you, shot in general. The safest, the safest shot on that hole is a power forehand. Yeah, that's the safest shot. But the power forehand puts you so far back that your next shot is going to be, it's going to be really hard to birdie with a power forehand off the tee. So yeah, I mean, I went OB one time. Um, Ian, I thought I threw it pretty good. It just stayed up in the air longer and glided OB. So yeah, I think, I think that tee shot is very, very challenging. And that's another one though, too, that would be really interesting to see if they played like hazard or OB or something near the green on that hole, because Mm. you still had people being like my second shot. I can just chuck it up there as far as possible. Yeah, Just get up the hill. And if I throw a great, awesome, I have a birdie chance. If not, then it's just I'm just going to pitch up and take a par. There wasn't much like care in the world where you ended up, essentially, if that makes sense. There was no risk 
of just chucking up a 450-foot shot up there. Yeah. It wasn't a risk-reward situation. It was just like, get up there, I might have a birdie look. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, there seem to be a ton of spectators out there, especially on Sunday. Um, but I've heard reports of people who were out there saying they felt, or people who were just watching, that they felt like there almost wasn't enough room for as many spectators were there. Were you getting that type of feel on the course? I mean, there's just a couple holes that I think they need to address on, you know, hole five and six, the two really wooded holes that are back to back. They basically, they did a great job on those holes of uh, letting fans know that you basically can post up near the tee pad of hole five, near the basket of hole six, because those are kind of caddy corner, and then a little bit to the tee pad of hole seven. Like that's where you can kind of post up. You can't go down the fairway on hole five. You can't go down the fairway on hole six. Yeah. There are a couple other holes that I – and they're newer holes too. So, like, I don't think they really knew how it's going to play out um, of where I think they probably do need to try to figure out where fans are. Like, I know hole seven, like, fans were kind of in the fairway on hole seven. And that fairway is so tight that there's not really a good spot for spectators to be. And they need to address that of like, okay, are we going to clear out some space 50 feet off the fairway in the woods so spectators have a spot or what are we going to do? Because yeah. that, that was – spectators aren't going to want to stand in knee-high gra- – or you know, waist-high bushes and grass in the woods to spectate, right? So they're going to kind of um, gravitate towards the fairway and then they're just kind of in the way. I didn't actually yeah. ever see – I was also playing with marshals and stuff a lot of times that they would kind of get ahead of us and make sure the fairways and stuff were good. So they did a great job like that. But if you weren't playing on a feature card or a chase card or anything like that, I could totally see how sometimes there could be situations where spectators were in the wrong spot. But at the same time, like there wasn't probably the greatest signage out there and some of the roping wasn't probably where it uh, wasn't um, – didn't exist in maybe some spots that it needed to. So again, these are all kind of growing pains. These are all good things, right? Like yeah, I'd much rather be talking much rather be talking about, whoa, we have too many people out here. We gotta figure out where to put them versus all right, we had five people show up. So these are all good things and hopefully stuff that the T D and, and uh, course officials and disc golf pro tour and all that um, will continue to look at and try to get better, you know, the next event. Yeah, I think it was just a, it was an optics thing, more so just like there was a lot of shots where I think it was a, a double whammy of like so many people were out there and there's not OB, so players are able to throw a little bit more wild shots, like not caring as much about being on the fairway because there's not risk if you're just off. So there was a lot of shots where like the gallery was just having to dodge discs or dodge rollers left and right. It seemed like so on coverage, it just happened very frequently. You're gonna, you're, yeah. It, I think it's probably because of how often it happened, but at the same time, like that's going to happen a lot more in disc golf than it is in golf, yeah. right? Because yeah. the fairways are so much shorter or so much narrower in, in disc golf. Like a, a, a decent fairway in disc golf could be 60 feet wide, where that would be literally the, the, the narrowest fairway in golf world ever. And even And even then, like golf has normally – you know, 10 to 15 yards on each side of the fairway of where it's rough and they don't even let fans in that. So they've got yeah. the fairway clear plus an additional. So, I mean, sometimes, I mean, 
you're not having 100 yards in between where spectators can be. And in disc golf, there's you know some holes, there's going to be 60 feet. So it's going to happen yeah. a lot more in disc golf. I just think the optics, like you are saying, I think some holes, they need to figure out ways of like, okay, we need to get spectators at least 10 to 15 feet off the fairway to where it's not even like a good shot they're having to dodge. It's only when someone like kind of sprays one left or right. Yeah. Did you see the shot? Uh, it was, I didn't actually see it happen, but I saw it posted everywhere where Gannon landed on the back. I was on the car. You're on yeah, Gannon's car. I was right there. That was pretty funny. I saw where he like drew the outprint of his shoe yeah. and signed it and it said like Gannon was here. Did you see that? Yeah. Silas didn't see it. That's funny. So we were, what was it? He, so he basically threw a shot and it landed like someone had one of those bags that like has like a, Lip, a, a little shelf, like a shelf, kind of like yeah. it, where their discs are, and the comes over. And oh, Gannon's okay. disc landed on that. Oh, so then Gannon played from the bag. See, this is where it's like it's part of the course at that point. I think what? this is where yeah. I don't know if it's possible, but if we are doing this show not live, this is where we could potentially like add that photo. Yeah, throw it up. Yeah, we can like, we can definitely get that picture and throw. Yeah, it up. throw that photo up so people can see it while if they're watching this on YouTube and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, all that stuff, then you just have to go to YouTube to check it out. But yeah, I was right there. We had one of the, the PDJ officials right there come down to kind of explain like what his options were, and he he didn't have to play it off the bag. He just wanted to. So oh, that's funny. Yeah, he was like, so what, well, "What is the ruling there? Because like, so that technically isn't a part of the course since it's a spectator's bag, or how did it work?" Do you remember what the marshal said? I mean, you, yeah. I mean, it, the, essentially, like the marshal was like, "Well, you can just play behind it because there was, you know, the paper, whatever. He could put his foot right behind the bag and be fine." I still think that's ridiculous that you can't just be like, "I'm going to lay a mark down, remove the bag, and then put yeah. the mark where it should go," kind of thing. Like, yeah, because you know they do that in golf where if your ball, if your marker is in line of someone's putt. They allow you to put – you can put your basically your club down and move your marker a club away so then that person can putt and then you put your club back down and move your marker back. Move it back. Right? Yeah. And so like essentially that's what I think should have happened is like put your foot down next to the bag like sideways, put your mark down, remove the bag, put your foot down, put the mark back, and then you're good. Yeah. But I, do we want to get into another ruling that I think is kind of silly? Absolutely. Another rule of, and this is kind of this is kind of one of those where disc golf goes against golf, and and what I think in, in a bad way because I think a lot of times we talk about like golf has rules and like disc golf needs to uh, use these rules. This is one of those mm-hmm. where like disc golf has like added a rule that golf doesn't have, and yeah. I think it's a bad rule. So okay, essentially. If you, for those watching that have watched golf, the most famous one ever was when um, Jordan Spieth was like falling off during the open. Like he had a huge lead and was slowly losing it. He shanked this shot so far. Sorry, the dogs are going nuts. <laughs> but he shanked the shot so far, and the course they were playing was very, very hilly. So he didn't have any view of the basket or basket, the pin. So he ended up having his caddy run up the hill to kind of basically be in line with the pin. Yeah, so he could so he'd get a mark. But then his caddy had to leave. So you can't have someone just stand there and be like, hit it over top of me, you're good. But you can have someone basically let you know, like, this is where the direction of the pin is. So I had the same situation happen to me on one of the holes at Deglow. I was way down this hill, 
and the basket was way up the hill and I couldn't see the basket. So I basically had my caddy at the ready of when, when all the players were done throwing, he was already kind of up the hill already and he could just kind of run over real quick and get in line and be like, all right, this is the direction, whatever. And Simon was like, I don't think you can do that. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I don't think you're allowed to do that. And I remember specifically maybe two, it was either D, last year's D-Glow or two years ago on hole three, someone had thrown a shot um, right of the hole three's basket, which is again in that crap to where you can't mm-hmm. see anything. And he had someone like shake the chains of the basket so that he could get a, like a, 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 you know, an idea of where the basket was. And I, I yeah. definitely remember that, which I don't know if that's legal or not. But essentially, um, Simon was correct. This is illegal. You're not allowed to have someone tell Even you. Even before you throw? Correct. You also aren't allowed to have a bag. You can't like put your bag in the yeah, fairway. Yeah, I, I know during a throw you can't. Um, but like, you can't have someone before you throw. And that's, I thought it was, I thought I was playing it the same way that you would play it in golf where you could have someone tell you, but then they have to leave, right? They can't stand yeah, you there. can't use it. Cause like, I remember it was, uh, Lisa Fagus. Lisa Fagus did it, it with her bag. Yeah. Yeah. And Valerie Jenkins at the time was like, that's such a smart play, but it was like completely against the rules. But like that was, she was throwing towards her bag and knew if I lay up just shy of my bag, I'm good. Correct. But I thought it was complete. I, I mean, I don't understand I'd have to look at the rule. I've never heard the rule that you can't have someone do it before you throw. That's yeah. So, so we had a funny like little interaction. Cause then I asked Simon, I was like, okay, well what happens? And he's like, warning. And I was like, okay, sorry. And then I went, cause like, I mean, what does happen? Like I, is it a stroke pill? Yeah, like, it already happened. Like, the, yeah. I mean, if I, if he would have been like, I think you get stroked, then I would have been like, all right, I get stroked and then let's figure it out after the round. But the interesting thing was after the round, I talked to one of the PGA officials just to see like what's up because my whole thing is disc golf rounds already take way too long for, for what we're doing out there. They already take way too long and we already have so many backups of why are we adding something that potentially is going to have more backups, right? And I told him too, yeah. I said, okay, so... In this scenario, and this kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit about the European Open of where if you've thrown you know, the five discs that you've wanted to throw and they're all OB, you can essentially go run out there, grab them, and get a courtesy warning. So that's mm-hmm. what I was asking. I was like, okay, so you, is the correct thing for me to do then in this situation? Because 100% the correct thing is not for me to throw without having any idea where the basket is. That should never yeah. be the play. So I was like, is the correct thing for me to run up the hill get a get a idea of where the basket is then run down the hill and get a courtesy warning for not throwing within 30 seconds is that the correct thing and he said actually you wouldn't get a courtesy warning because your 30 seconds doesn't start until you address your, so lie. You address your lie and when you address yeah. your lie what that basically means too is if you have to go to try to figure out where the basket is or where you're trying to throw that is all a part of getting ready to address your lie. So, Mike, yeah, someone said you can't determine your lie until you know where your target is. I don't know how accurate that is, but no, that's what I just said. Okay. Yeah. So your your time your thirty seconds doesn't actually start until you know where you're throwing and you're behind your disc, essentially. 
And so, yeah. which proves my point of where this is just a rule, in my opinion, of where, where have you? Did you get the like the official agreed with Simon that someone can't go up there and show you where the basket is before you throw? I think he said, yeah, he said you you're allowed. Where is that in the rule? Book? I don't know, don't. but I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure he agreed. Because like the only thing I can find is a player must not stand or leave their equipment where interference with a disc in play may occur, which is like the bag situation. And then um, I'm trying to find anything else about that. I mean, I'm I'm briefly looking right now. I've never looked this up before. But I just, I'm struggling to find it. That's like interference. I can look at misplay. Yeah. I, this, this says rule 813.02.a that. Uh, 813.02, illegal device. Yeah. Placing an object as a directional aid is not allowed. Is it, so a caddy's an object? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But is that even a directional aid? What does that even mean? Because like I place my mini towards the basket. Is that a directional That's aid? True. Not really. I mean, I mean, we can see, but you can see how like I'm. But I'm in my mind that is like during my throw. Like it's assisting my throw. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same kind of thought process too. Of like you shouldn't really have your caddy be allowed to like stand behind you and be like, yeah, you're lined up, and like, like they have to. Like when you're about to throw, they have to like leave, if that makes sense, right? Like you can't, you don't want to. They have, can help you line up the shot. We saw Emily Beach's caddy help her with every single shot. It's more, it's more so for like golf of where you can't, yeah. you can't. The like caddy, like when you, uh, for putting, you can't have your caddy stand behind you when you putt. They can initially stand behind you to be like, yeah, you look good, and then they have to leave before you actually start your stroke, right? Yeah, and. That makes sense. In disc golf, this rule just doesn't make sense because, in my opinion, this only makes it to where it's literally taking up more time. Like I'm having to go up there I'm just, and ha- I'm going to get the same information as if someone else did it, but it's just going to take way more time. So I just it, don't. I, I it's would an argue that it's one. not a rule. Okay, and, and, and maybe maybe uh, someone can find it for us, but he, be, well, because it, it, it has to be this placing an object as a directional aid. But to me, that that is in your part of throwing. If he would have stood there, I I would I yeah, would like agree. If you're throwing towards like, him over top of like, him. Oh, I just got to get over him, and I'm yeah. there. But like, if he's there and then leaves, the same as like I'm pointing at the basket, and then I walk backwards down the hill, still pointing at the basket. So when I get to my but line, you're doing I know that. where the basket. I is. I think that's the difference: or, is you're doing that versus someone else is doing that. So we'll see. Maybe yeah. maybe the PDGA guy, know, it's maybe it's not an actual rule and, and maybe whatever. But the other thing I was going to say too, pace of play wise, and this was something that I, I've noticed happening and hopefully maybe it changes, was the of like getting up to your disc sooner. I have noticed people doing that more of where you know if someone's on the right side of the fairway and someone's on the left side of the fairway, even though this person on the right is like 10 feet shorter and going to throw first, not everyone is like standing right behind waiting and then walking all the way over standing behind for this. Yeah. People are starting to get to their discs and like figuring stuff out while the other person is getting ready to throw. But one thing that's still not happening though is like getting up by the green. And this happened to us in hole three. I don't know why hole three is like the be all. It's all on hole three. Yeah, but this happened on <laughs> hole three where Garrett – um through his tee shot like way off into the woods and 
I think I threw first, and then the other two guys threw, and then Garrett was going up. And I was on the left side of the fairway, and he was all the way back in the woods. And again, like we're in the situation of where it is a gentleman's game, of where I also don't think we should be in the woods next to Garrett, making sure he's not cheating. Yeah. It's a gentleman's game, and you gotta we got to trust people that aren't cheating. And maybe if you do think someone's cheating, sure, you should be in the woods making sure they're not cheating. But, like, again, that's just going to slow down play so much if, like, we all have to be, like, referees on every single throw, especially on a course like this where people are off the fairways all over the place. You kind of just have to let it be like that. So I know there are going to be some people be like, no, you need to be behind the disc to watch them to make sure. And it's like, I don't know if that's the route we want to go to have five-hour rounds out here. So I ended up literally walking. I was watching where he was to wait for him to throw. But as I was watching, waiting him to throw, I was walking all the way up to the green. So basically what ended up happening, just to kind of like show how much faster some of these rounds could happen, is Garrett throws out, right? And at that point, I'm now like 60 feet away from my putt. So I can literally putt within a couple seconds where the other two people on my card are 250, 300 feet down the fairway. So if I would have been next to them, we would have then walked all the way up 300 feet to get to my disc, and then I would have putted. All while Garrett is still trying to get out of the woods, right? Yeah. So there's small things like that that I think playing a course like this, I think also will help speed up pace of play, which I think with how our coverage is right now, because at a golf tournament, Pace of play is important only for really people that are there live. Because yeah. when you're watching on TV, they have so much other shots and stuff they can show you that you're never just like watching people play a card game on the tee box. But that's a very common thing in disc golf because they only have so many cameras. So I think... Thi- it's becoming less common. It's, it's but, less yes. common. But still, there are backups. And yeah. you're just... you know I don't know what they're showing now. But uh, there are still backups. So I think anything that we can do to make play speed up faster, I think is something that we look in. So that was just something that I saw that I thought was interesting was like, are there ways that we can get closer and closer to our disc without obviously getting into the way of other people throwing, but to, to speed up pace of play? So what about your like sneaky, sneaky side mission of the like handshakes after 18? How's that going? I did it every round. I did, but like, is it, is it still picking up momentum? I did it every round. When we were in Charleston, you said it was like start. Like, there's a movement. There are some people that are doing it for sure. I think more people are doing the handshakes after 18 yeah. than people that aren't doing them on 18's tee. If that makes sense. So I think more people are doing both. Oh, okay, okay. Where people are still, I, I did it every time on 18's tee. So, but then why would you do both? That's a fantastic question. Well, and like that's you're not a, done yet. That's a question. You're just gonna do it after. That's a question for you to ask the people that are doing both, Silas. I was never the one. That, I'm never the one to initiate it on 18's T. But if someone comes up to me on 18's T and it's like, "Hey, man, great playing with you," like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Ask him how the round went. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, I have those discussions, <laughs> but I'm still gonna be. I always just say, like, I'm, I'm gonna do this when we're done at 18's basket as well. But yeah, yeah I'm. 
Yeah, just just know you're gonna have to shake this yes. hand again. I'll shake yes, it now, the movement but. is happening though. Like I did notice. This is what I will say is like I I noticed players being more prone to like it. It wasn't like a oh what what are we doing after eighteen after finishing? Like there were people yeah. that were ready to do it again. If if that makes sense. So. We're getting there. We'll see what happens. Hopefully more pros and stuff jump on it. I think it looks way better finishing your round, uh, giving handshakes to everyone, and like concluding it there. Um, I will continue to die on that horse. Hey, I got a question. What happens if you're on league card, the first place taps out, trophy rushes in, what do you do then? You shaking Terry's hand first? Uh, I, I feel like they've been pretty decent to have a little bit of breathing room, a little bit. Okay. It depends on the TD. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be close yeah, enough. It depends on the. Event. I'm gonna be close enough to where, like, even if Terry is like doing the whatever, I can just come up real quick and say, "Hey, congratulations," and do a handshake. That's true. I mean, you see that a lot in like basketball, football. You see that a lot where someone's giving an interview and teammates. You see it more probably in football because of just how many. Uh, teammates are in football that you literally can't yeah. give handshakes to all your teammates after or even to the mm-hmm. opponents after right that would take way too long so you, a lot of times you'll yeah. see like other guys running up during an interview just quickly like on the back of the shoulder being like hey congratulations or whatever so I, I could see that happening yeah makes sense makes sense. so um i'm gonna ask this question first you're just at a discraft event obviously uh, we just saw a Discraft new mold get approved, the Athena. I think I threw it. Do you got any insider I secrets? I think I threw it. Is it pretty sick? What? Are, what? It, it seemed like by the measurement that's on the PDGA website that it's like a seven-speed, like a little bit slower fairway. Is that about right? Oh, I don't know. They didn't say it was the name is Athena, so I have no idea. That's what it's approved on the on PDGA okay. so as the Athena, which it seems like it's going to be in the PM line. If it's the what Athena, disc is that? Is that five or six? In the yeah. PM line, Luna, Malta, Zeus, Hades, Onyx, six. Oh, so they're just assuming the Paul's going to win this year, I guess? Oh, are you saying like the six for it having six letters or the, it being the sixth? Oh, I thought he got, I thought it was every world championship. Is that not how it is? I don't know. I know the name, the naming nomenclature, if you will, what was the heck like nomenclature? going well, that, four. That makes sense. Too, well, like Zeus, Onyx was four, four. Hades. That's six letters. Malta, 5-5. Five, five. Athena's six letters. Yeah. I don't know. I threw... Could be a little pretty... pretty I, just, I, threw a couple new I threw a couple new discs. I didn't know what I threw a couple new discs. A couple new discs. Well, oh. I, I mean, everyone's oh. working on... Oh. Okay, well, okay. Well, that's we not, that's not like Brody. a spoiler. I think every company works on new discs. Silas, mark that. Spoiler, have you seen spoiler, how many? Yeah, have you ever gone right and there. looked at how many like new discs are approved by the PGA? Every, I mean, yeah. it is ins- I love scrolling. It's insane it. how many new discs there are. So, um, yeah, I mean, I threw I, I threw some new stuff and they were good. So we'll see. I mean, what I did ask Bob for one of the discs I threw. I, I did ask. I was like, "Is this approved yet?" Because I would literally throw this on like two holes at D Glow, and oh, he's dang. like, "No." And I was like, "All right, well, I'm not gonna throw it then." But yeah, no, I think I think uh, the, whatever the ones I threw, whenever they get released or however it happens, I'll be very excited to uh, to work those out. It's definitely not like um, you know some of the some of the newer ones like the Scorch, which 
Mm-hmm. Ezra swears is an incredible roller disc. I don't. I, I don't that. know if it's better than a Thrasher. A Thrasher is absolutely incredible. They're very. They're very um, similar. So, but I guess I would say like the last couple new releases. I would say like the Passion. Um, yeah. The Scorch. The Hades. Like they're not discs that are in my bag. So it'd be cool yeah. to have like a newer disc in my bag. But we'll see. Nice. Uh, it seems like you're starting to kind of come into form now at the right part of the year. Solid performance at European Open, solid performance at D-Glow. Week off this week, you're not going to the Mid-America Open, and then rolling into... I'll Ledgestone, address the Mid-America thing, just in case people do have questions of why. I mean, I think, I think yeah. a lot of people are going to probably drop out. The thing is, is like, you have to remember, we have these... Uh, a lot of us have tour passes. And so what tour passes mm-hmm. do is basically sign you up for every Elite Series, ever, every Silver Series at the beginning of the year. So those are yeah. all thrown on your schedule. And essentially, I think how a lot of players do it, at least players like that are handling their, their scheduling like I do, is the Disc Golf Pro Tour points are very, very important to me. Now, obviously, some mm-hmm. of the top, top guys, they probably could care less because they know that, I mean, heck, Eagles qualified right now with, like with three, three events. events, right? So it's, they're in a different ball game than some of us. But like the pro tour points are very, very important to me. And where I'm at right now, I'm in a good spot right now. And essentially, if I were to go play Mid-America and I were to win, I would get 25 points for the win. But I wouldn't get 25 points added to my overall tour points. I would get 25, but then you'd have to cancel out my lowest uh, silver series, which I think is like eight or something. So essentially, I would only go up seventeen points if I won yeah. at the Silver Series event. So when I look at scheduling and stuff like that, is it worth going to a Silver Series event to where I've never I've never played the course before, and it's also right before Ledgestone, which is going to be one of the more demanding tournaments of the year. Then Des Moines right after that, and then Worlds right after that. Like we have a big stretch of three big events back to back to back. Yeah. Um, is that is that going to be? Does that make sense for me to do? And that's where my head was at. Is like I was pretty much if I would have played bad at European Open and I would have played bad at Ledgestone or at Diglo, I probably would have gone to Mid America because those those seventeen points could have been really really important. Those 17 points yeah. could be really important. I might miss out on the tour championship 17 point by 17 points later in the season. But I'm right now playing the the game of where I think being home for this week with Kelsey and, the, and my family, spending some family time and practicing and not having to prepare for another tournament this week, I'm putting stock in that is going to be more important at finishes at Ledgestone, at Des Moines, at Worlds. Will it happen? Who knows? It's impossible to say, but like that's how I'm playing. So, yeah, no, I, th- I mean, I think it makes perfect sense. I was actually we were looking through on the, on a grip locked the list of registered players, and I'm curious to see now the week's going on, like how many of those players disappear, or if it's true, like a lot are playing. I know a lot of people are excited to play Harmony Bends, especially like they didn't get to play mm-hmm. it last year, and it is a somewhat iconic course. So, wouldn't surprise me if. Uh, some people still showed up, but it's definitely getting to like the nitty gritty well, of 
you really got to focus on points because it goes Ledgestone, Des Moines, Worlds. There's another Silver Series like the Pittsburgh, but then it goes straight into the playoffs. The other, and then it's like you, know, you also have time. to look too. The people that are probably playing in this are people that are probably like the the people that are living out of their vans, like the van lifers, right? Because yeah, where, where else what else go? are they going to do, right? So they're they don't have the ability of they're not going to drive home for a week and and hang out. So they're going to go. So, yeah, why, yeah. Why so. I think the people that most of the people that are dropping out are the people that aren't necessarily like on tour full time in that way of where they're just driving from event event. And I, and I'm going to be driving. That's the other thing too, is I'm going to be driving to these next couple of events. So I'm going to be driving up to Ledgestone and then driving to Des Moines and then driving to worlds and then driving back, driving back down to Dallas home and and then flying. What's after Worlds? So you're not playing the Silver Series after Worlds, most likely. That again is just tour points. At that point, like yeah. if it is, if it does come to the point of where it's like crap, if I get eight points, I get in, or if I get eight points, I get a buy. Like, well, the playoff points are still worth points, right? Yeah, the playoff points are still worth you're, points. You're, you're definitely into the playoff events. Yeah, because I think it's like top eighty get into Maple Hill. Yeah, it goes like a hundred to GMC, or hundred Maple yeah, Hill, yeah. and then or something something like that, and then thirty, 30 to thirty six. Yes, to the yeah. Um, but you basically just want to yeah. With the, the I mean, and a lot of times, like I think I think you know, for us being at foundation and being the uh, a big media part of disc golf, you know, I think we probably need to talk about the tour points a little bit more because it's definitely not really discussed during coverage. It's ne- yeah, we started talking about it on Griplock like two weeks ago. We started bringing it up and looking yeah. at the bubble because I think as these next few pro tours and then worlds roll on, the bubble is going to be really interesting because the top, it's not super interesting with the, you know, they're locked in. But the bubble gets very interesting because like you, for instance, one solid finish at Deeglo, you went from being on the bubble to being in like 25th. Mm-hmm. And I think we points. talked about this too and about how many more points you need this year to get in than in the past. Like, yeah. Yeah, we brought it up. It'll be interesting to see what it shakes out because now the drops are starting. Well, I think to the factor. points are already higher. Um, yeah, they're already they're already there. It's just like how, with the drops, how's it all going to shake out and actually be like? Is it going to be fifty points? Well, I'm saying it can't be. It can't be. Like, it can't be lower be than what it is right now, though. No, it, it's yeah. not going to be lower than last and year. So, it's that's that's what's yeah. kind of crazy, and uh, that that kind of just goes to show like how the top is getting better and better because you're not having you know, the same five guys always get those top five spots to where they get all those points, you know? Yeah. I'm curious. I'm going to look Let, at, um, I'm going to go to 2021 and look at the top. Standards. Oh, see like, like what much, the top five is? How much it got I feel like the top down. five is probably lower this year. Significantly lower. It would be my guess than in the past. No, it's higher right now. Somehow. Is there more events? What's going on? Oh, that could be a factor. We didn't really factor that in. I don't think the majors counted in last year. That might be it too. Majors mm. didn't count. So, so we could LBC, be completely yeah, wrong of what everything we just factored. said. I th- we might be because like last year, Ricky was in the lead at 732 points. Calvin already has 803 points. Mm. So that's dang. That's, but it's that's a, a it's bummer the that they did that. Cause now we have to kind of do some math to figure out. Yeah, we can do, we can do. I still think it's going to be more majors and last year. None of I still think it's going to be more than last year. Like the bottom. I, I still think it'll be more. You would, you would think because I mean the same, like last year we saw a very consistent performance by several players at the top this year. People pop off here and there. Sneak in there a lot more. Well, let's, 
Yeah, like Luke Humphrey's got a ton of points at the beginning of the season. And like a player like that, it didn't really let's, happen. Uh, let's uh, transition over then while we're talking kind of tour championship and qualifiers. Let's transition a little bit to USDGC. Because obviously we're getting closer and closer to that event. Um, Deglo, another event, not a qualifier for USDGC. Yeah, I, Trevor and I were talking about that. Um, personally, we would have been so ticked off if you would have went third at DDO, ninth at, <laughs> if you hadn't qualified at European Open. And your two best performances were just both. You just yeah. kind of got snubbed on. I was like, that would have been, I mean, we would have caused a riot. I didn't even think about that. Block, I think. But, I mean, yeah, it, it sucks because, like, well, from Innova's side, I can see what they're doing because it's like that's a Discraft-owned event, and DDO is obviously a dynamic disc-owned event. So we don't like, want, yeah. No. We don't want to bring this more prestige by having it be a qualifier. But it just doesn't really make, it, yeah, but from a PDGA standpoint, it doesn't make sense because, like, DDO is one of the bigger Pro Tour events, one of the longer-standing Pro Tour these, events. You would think that these are be tough a tournaments. Yeah, the, the whole idea is if you want to make your qualifying prestigious and and have like a really prestigious field, it should be coming from the toughest events. And DDO yeah. and uh, with with how much OBs at DDO, and then how much elevation and how bad the rough is at Toboggan. Like these are two courses or two tournaments where. Uh, you're not really going to have someone where you're just like, well, what the heck? How did that person qualify? Like, there's no f- no flukiness, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Where maybe you know, like a Masters Cup, right? Where the course is super short, you could. Well, I don't know if they did it this year, but like previously, they've snuck into a tiers, and uh, yeah, they have like a, a one in Canada coming yeah. up and stuff. So yeah, I and I remember, I think I was hearing, I think it was either. I think it was Stokely. I think I saw either he did a video or he s- said it in person. I remember Stokely saying something along the lines of something that basically I said at European Open during the final round of where it's like, all right, I'm not going to get a top 10 anymore. Like switch to the next thing, USDGC qualifier. And I think he was, he kind of said, I think something, I think it was Stokely of where he said something similar of where it's like, all right. Um, I didn't play well enough to win the event, but now it's like, okay, let's try qualify for the USDGC. And I was like, oh, is this a qualifier? And then I went on UDISC and the, the little thing wasn't on there. And that's how I always know it's a qualifier or not because it's really hard to actually find yeah. the list of tournaments. But I was like, what the heck? Like, how is this not a qualifier? So that, I, that's going to have to get addressed eventually at some point. Be- I don't think obviously there's enough like outrage from fans and stuff, um, no, not but yet. eventually it's going to yeah. get addressed. Of like, why the heck are uh, not? Why is not every elite series event have like four? Like, and even European Open had four spots. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. common of where it's only four everywhere. I feel like there was five given at Vegas. I could be wrong. Could have been maybe end of an event. I'm gonna look more. that up real quick because that would be you should that would be, be look crazy to me is if you get five at at a end of an event and four at a major. Yeah, it'd be. Um, I think what it's gonna take is someone who clearly deserves has a solid year. Basically, what it would see who it is. is who is it right now? Who is it right now? Well, who's who's like the the qualified? highest ranked person that hasn't qualified? Is there an easy way of seeing? Oh no, you can do that. Uh, the USDGC publishes their list. You can also just literally go to, um, if we go to, they used to not publish it. And then I started, 
Um, I started a blog about all the people that hadn't published or hadn't um, qualified yet. And then like the next week, I is there a way of going back to like the U disc of a tournament? Cause yes. that's the easiest way probably of doing it is going to like going to, Oh, if like I can see, yeah, that going to like, qualified. uh, let me go to European open. The problem that's is not a lot of people went right? to European open. So you'd have to go to like preserve or okay. something of where like pretty much everyone went to. And then see if USCGC spots is on. And yeah. then you can go down the list there. Um, I think that might be the easiest way of kind of just getting a rough estimate of who hasn't qualified yet. There's a lot. I mean, so many people qualify. Colton Montgomery is the first one I just scrolled by that hasn't qualified unless he got it in the past. This is at preserve. So as a preserve, he hadn't. Andrew Marweed hadn't. Um, I don't think Andrew Marweed still hasn't because like he got what fifth at this one and this wasn't a qualifier. Ben Calloway has not. Austin, Austin Hannum did at OTB. Um, this one, like AJ Carey qualified at the 303 Open. I think that's the 7 8 here. What? I'm going to just search that. 303 Open Disc Golf. Yeah. It's. Yeah, it was back on May 7th. It's just an 8 yeah, so it's... in Colorado. Like, why is a random. That's what I hate. Why is a random. Like, a random 8 <laughs> here should never be a qualifier. Like, that makes no sense. I could see. I don't understand that. Yeah, if you're trying to get the if if your whole thing is like if your whole thing it, yeah, because because they already the let in players. the USAM, right? Like the winner of USAM gets in. Right? I think US Maybe. I know they get into Champions Cup. Oh, I'm I not sure about USDGC. Cuz there's other ways of like trying to like cuz obviously I I understand that where it's like okay, you don't want you want to be able to have like Maybe some up and comers and stuff be able to like that to qualify, but if you start putting it at like these A tiers, you're not going to be getting like local guy. Like, oh, we're going to get some grassroots. You're going to be getting guys that didn't get it on the pro tour now going to this A tier and they're going there. So that's yeah. Yeah. To me, doesn't really make sense the way that they have it. Maybe they can. Maybe maybe Trevor can. get an interview with someone from Innova to maybe ask like why, like what is the reasoning behind their US, like how, what's their process? Yeah. I think that would be cool. It's like, what is their process of I had, um, picking events to qualify? The last article I updated before they had like the published list come out, um, I had a list of notable unqualified players and I think they've all qualified Who do you have? since then. You can um, go through it and let see. see. Let me search. Because I don't think Marweed has qualified. Because he he didn't oh, go Marweed to the, Euro- the he didn't go to the European Open, this. and why is it saying? Okay, so the two that I'm unsure of on my list is Kale Lavisca and Andrew Marweed, but Adam but- Ham is is has qualified since then. You have qualified since then. Chris Clemens has, and I believe Vino Makovic has did a European. at European Open. So if Andrew Marweed, Andrew Marweed might still not. When was this? When did you write this? Was this after Preserve? Was that this? was May twenty fourth. That was May twenty fourth. Oh, okay. That was prior to Preserve. Prior to oh, okay. quite a few tournaments. Um, USDGC. Yeah, because I just know if, if Marweed hasn't done it since Preserve. Marweed. Marweed is not on there. Andrew Marweed has yeah, he not just qualified got top, yet. This was updated. He's, he's got a top yesterday, ten August first at at Deglo. Yeah, 
So like that, yeah. that could be the player. If Andrew Marby doesn't get it, like that could suck. Because what do you do at DDL? So he has to like someone like that. They have to basically try to Monday qualify. Well, no, because there's there's gonna be no. I'm saying like there will be more qualifiers, but you're you're running out of of you know. It's a lot harder to be like, all right, this is my last chance of getting in. I have to ball out of control this tournament. Yeah, he came in seventh at D Glow. And didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't get a spot. Other than that, he's, he's come outside the top 20 or 20th at everything else. But seventh at D Glow, yeah. I mean, that's pretty criminal. So, so yeah, I would, keep I mean, an it's eye definitely, on it. I would definitely be curious as to, to hear from any of us. What's their thought process? Why. I mean, it's pretty, I think, I think it's pretty obvious why, but I could be completely wrong. Well, it, but, um, it, I would like to know, like, why you That's what I want to know. Because like, it's one thing open? to be like, well, we don't want to do it at these tournaments that we aren't a part of. But it's another thing of like, okay, well, then explain why you're doing it at some of these just like random. Maybe they're sponsoring of that. Maybe yeah. it's like a eight-tier they've always All right, last thing I got. Any thoughts on yeah. getting four votes for the PDGA board of directors? Four, you, got, you got four write-in I'm votes. honored. You I got know. I, I said we got to increase the marketing campaign for next year. Yeah. Dang. No, I mean, I always think it's funny when I, I think last year I had like one or two. So give me, you know, if I double it years, every year, it. give me like 10 years or so, 10, 20 years. What if that, you, what I'll if be, one, I was, I think it would be funny if someone, I was going to say, what if we somehow like, would you, would, they, would you would turn they it down? Me? Okay. Yeah, I think it would. Because I don't, I don't, I think that you, you have to like publish the whole like conflict of interest thing, and it'd be hard for me not to talk about stuff on Grip Law. It'd be one of those situations where you'd know too much information, and then like, yeah, what do I, what can I talk so about? So you'd be the, I? and plus I'm, I'm still so not would, sure what the board the director first, does. You would be the first one to ever turn that position down after winning it, because I'm pretty sure everyone that wins it is trying to win it. Well, because you. you like I think you have to accept the nomination. To even I didn't accept anything. So I would turn down a nomination. No, that's no, what I'm no. saying. We, we weren't on a ballot. That's what I'm saying. People, we were write-ins. If we had seven thousand people write us oh, in, oh, yeah, I yeah, would. Yeah, yeah, and we, okay, we could yeah, be the first. I see what you're saying. You have to get on the ballot. You actually have to. Okay. People had to choose us. Over that's what I want, though. I want you to win from write-ins. I don't want you to win. I don't want you to win be being on funny. the ballot. I want you to win from write-ins. That's what I want. Dang. All right. Well, uh, we got to wrap the show up here. I'm about to go play some golf, actual golf. Any predictions well, on what I'm course. about to shoot on nine holes? Colonial. 59. Okay. All right. Oh, so my gosh. Silas. I didn't ask you, Silas. Oh I didn't ask you, and oh. that hurts. I, all right, Just 50, 59. We'll see what tweet, I, we'll see what I'm capable tweet. out there. I think I think I can go lower. You did, that. didn't you do really good? The I've been playing. Tweet it, hot tweet recently, it out. So we'll tweet it out tonight. What this? I'll tweet this, my scorecard. This podcast will come out tonight. This'll so tweet tonight. it out later, so people after they hear it, they can see it. Yeah, I'll tweet it out after. Yeah. you can go over Sweet. to my Twitter and you'll see it there. All right, there you go. Let us know what you think of the new show format, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next week. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. <laughs>